All right. Well, hey, everyone. Good morning, good morning. It's good to see you today. My name is Jake. If I haven't had a chance to meet you yet, I'm pastor of Midtown Church. So glad that you're joining us this morning. If you will, sorry I had to interrupt your conversations, but find your way back and we're going to jump into the passage today. Really looking forward to our time in, in God's Word. Uh, before, we get, before we go there, though, I, I want to uh, draw your attention to something you, you may, may not have noticed, may not realize, but we're, we're in the midst of an election. Did you notice that? Did, have you know? Are you aware? What? Yeah. Um, and so I just have, I have three things I want to say real quick in, re, in, uh, in regards to that. The first is, uh, go vote, okay? Go vote. It's incredible freedom and responsibility that we all have. Please go vote. The second thing I want to say is pray, and specifically pray for whoever is elected. They're going to have a hard job, okay? And they got a lot of influence. And so pray for them. Pray that God would bless them. Pray that they would know God. Pray that they would lead wisely. Pray for them. And then the third thing I want to say, just in regards to, you know, as, as, as your pastor here, that I am just so encouraged by is that uh, in our church, at least as far as I've been able to notice, that there is incredible unity here, a mix uh, among a lot of diversity here when it comes to political uh, parties and philosophy and all of that stuff. And I just love that about our church because that's what the church is supposed to be like, where people that come from different perspectives and cultures and experiences, they come together on the foundation of Jesus Christ, and in him we find our unity. And just remember, like Jesus said, the people, the world, the others will know that you are my disciples by what? By your voting record? No, by how you love one another, okay? By how you love one another. And that we would love each other, serve each other, honor one another, even when we think strongly in some cases about how, you know, who should be in office and all that kind of stuff. Like that is just really God honoring. And I just want to encourage you uh, or let you know that that's encouraging to me, commend you for that, and, and to encourage you to continue in that, okay? Love one another, love one another, and go vote and pray. Okay, that's all I'm going to say. Now, um, you know, you're probably like me, you're, you're tired of hearing about uh, politics and the, the election. So I'll switch gears here and I'm going to begin talking about something that we hate talking about even more than politics or the election. Perhaps start talking about the thing that we dislike talking about or thinking about more than anything else. How's that for an intro? We're going to talk, even though death is inevitable, uh, and it's got pretty much a perfect track record, uh, we hate talking about it. We hate thinking about death, don't we? But man, it's, it's important. It's heavy. And it's, most of us, you know, we, we've got a lot of questions that surround the topic of death. And what happens when we die? What, what has happened to those that we love that have passed away already? And, and like those questions that we carry with us, those are not new. In fact, in the passage we're looking at, uh, we'll see that, th that Paul addresses this topic because the Thessalonians, you know, two centuries ago, they were asking the same kind of questions. Like, what happens when we die? Like, what happens to those that have already passed away? What, 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 what happens there? And so we're going to look at that passage. And I hope that what we see today is something that is incredibly encouraging. Because 
this is one of the most encouraging aspects of the Christian faith, and we're going to get to look at that this morning. As we continue our series, you see that we've been calling A Moving Faith. It's our series in the book of 1 Thessalonians, and we call it A Moving Faith because a major theme of the book of 1 Thessalonians is that uh, our faith in Christ is meant to move us along towards Christ-likeness, or you say spiritual maturity, and to move us along with Christ on mission, to tell others about Jesus, and the whole world would know what Jesus, who Jesus is and what he's done for them. And so that's a major theme, and so it's all about moving forward as with Christ and for Christ and in Christ. But today, we're going to see that Paul pivots, and he begins talking a little bit about not just moving forward, but moving upward. All right? How's that for a cheesy line? You like that? You like that? I worked on that all week long. So um, we're going to go to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, and we'll be in verses 13 through 18. So if you want, you can turn there. As you go there, let me give you a little bit of context, just to remind you or to catch you up if you haven't been with us uh, recently. But uh, the letter of 1 Thessalonians is written by Paul. He writes to them because Paul and and Timothy and Silas, these three guys as a missionary team came and brought the gospel to Thessalonica. They were the first people to ever do that. They show up there. They preach the gospel for three, maybe four weeks. And many people believe, they believe the message that Jesus is the Messiah and that he lived and died and that he rose again to pay for their sins and to make a way, the way for them to be reconciled to God. They put their faith in Christ. And then Paul is actually run out of town because of this big opposition that you know, is, is, is churned up against him. And so he's run out of town. And so he ends up writing this letter back to, the, to these believers in Thessalonica to encourage them and, and to uh, you know, find out or to, to push them forward in their faith. It's call them forward, right? And uh, what's interesting is that Paul, in the meanwhile, after he's run out of Thessalonica, He's, uh, he moves to Berea, he moves to Athens, he moves to Corinth, and, he's in, and you see this map up here. You see these big sections that, uh, um, where you have, I wish I had something I could easily point to, Macedonia and Achaia. You see those two in the middle? That's the region of the world that he's moving through. And he says in the very beginning of 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, he says, hey, something amazing has happened. Like, all, like in this region of the world, in Macedonia, in Achaia, I am hearing about how you have radically changed your lives or how God has radically changed your lives as a result of your faith in him. And he actually writes these words in verse, uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, 9 and 10. He says, For they themselves report, talking about the people in this region of the world, for they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his Son from heaven whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. Now, did you catch that? The reputation of the Thessalonian believers had spread throughout this region in a relatively short period of time. And a part of their reputation is that they had turned from idols to worship the one true God. And a part of their reputation was that they were anxiously awaiting Jesus' appearing. Now, how's that for a reputation? Like, they were anxiously thinking, like, waking up day after day and thinking, okay, is today the day? Is today the day Jesus is going to return? Is today the day? You think today's the day? It might be the day. Like, that was a part of their reputation. 
In fact, so much so, if you were here last week, you saw Justin was teaching. He was talking about how Paul encouraged them to like find a job, do good work with their hands, to not just live off the generosity of others. The reason Paul had to write those words is because the Thessalonians were so anxiously awaiting the day of Christ's return, they quit their jobs. Some of them had literally quit their jobs. They were just living off the generosity of others thinking, hey, why, why work? Jesus is going to return at any moment now. That's how much they were anxiously awaiting his return because they did understand that it's true that Jesus really can return at any moment. And so they were so excited about that, so you know, anxious about that, then some of them <laughs> actually quit the job. Paul says, hey, don't do that. <laughs> Go get a job. Go, you know, get work, work, work. That's good. But it's good that they, too, were known for awaiting Jesus' return. But then something happened, okay? In the, in the time between Paul preaching the gospel and then believe, believing it, and Paul uh, hearing these reports of how they were doing, specifically when he heard back from Timothy how the Thessalonians were doing, um, some of the believers in Thessalonica, uh, Thessalonica started to uh, pass away. And so they passed on to Timothy... They said, hey, Timothy, ask Paul, what do we do with those that die that are of, Je- uh, that, uh, you know, are of the faith? But like, are they going to be left behind when Jesus appears? Like, what happens to them? Like, do we, we who are living, we get to go be with Jesus. But what about those who, who died? What, what happens when we die? And so they started asking those questions. And so Paul begins to address that in this passage that we're looking at this morning. So all that is way of introduction. Let's look at this passage. I'm going to take it in three sections. And so uh, let me just take the first section here. First uh, Thessalonians chapter 4. We're just going to look at verse 13 right here. So follow along with me. It says, But uh, we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others who do not have, or who, uh, with others as others do who have no hope. Sorry about that. So he says, here's the thing. Y'all have these questions about what happens when people die, especially what happens specifically here when Christians die. Hey, brothers, I don't want y'all to be uninformed. I don't want you to be ignorant about this. And so let me, let me tell you, because what I'm going to say is going to help you uh, not grieve as others do, those who have no hope, because we have an incredible hope. Now, it's important for us to recognize what Paul means when he says the word hope, how he uses the word hope, because hope for us nowadays means, you know, like a, a, a wish, something you, you, you wish to be true, but you know, you know, I don't know if it's going to actually happen. Like, I hope that I beat Tory in fantasy football today. And so, but I, I don't know if I will. I'm pretty sure I will, but I don't know for sure. But in biblically speaking, hope literally means you have it up here. It, it, it means this, it's a, uh, it's a joyful and, co- and confident expectation. It's joyful and confident expectation. So it's something that you know is true, and you're looking forward to it with this incredible joy and, and, and confidence. And he says, Paul says, okay, so when it comes to those who have passed away, we don't have to grieve as those with no hope, because we have a hope, we have a, a reason, have joyful and confident expectation. Now, one other thing I want to point out here. Notice he doesn't say, so that you do not grieve, period. Okay? 
that he is saying, hey, brothers, I'm writing to you so that you will grieve in a certain kind of way, but it still implies that you're going to grieve. And guys, we should grieve. When, when someone passes away, like we, we do well to grieve. Like I think about my sister, my uh, brother-in-law, uh, Kaylee and Sebastian, they had a, a beautiful little baby, Annabelle. And she was born, though, with some uh, uh, physical uh, defects and, and disabilities. And she only lived for about three months. And when she passed away, oh, man, like our whole family, we just grieved. We still grieve. I know that uh, there are actually many in our church family that have lost loved ones recently, family members, friends. And like for you to grieve is, is the right response. I think about Jesus at the, at the tomb of Lazarus in John chapter 11. Like Lazarus was his good friend. He shows up at the tomb. And what does he do? One of the things we're told there is that Jesus wept. Like he grieved. He wept in front of the tomb of, Jesus, of Lazarus. Now, if you keep reading in John 11, what you see is the next thing Jesus does is he actually raises Lazarus from the dead. So you think, Jesus, why are you weeping? You're just about to bring this guy back to life. You know why he wept? Put it strongly here. He wept because death sucks. Because death sucks. See, death, death is not a part of God's original creation. That prior to sin entering the world, death was not. That death is the result of sin. And death, biblically speaking, is separation. That, biblically speaking, death separates body and soul. And death separates us from our relationships. And death has the potential of separating us from God. Death is terrible. So Jesus wept in the tomb of Lazarus. We grieve, but... Again, back to the passage, we do not have to grieve as those with no hope because of in Christ we have a great hope. And here's the hope, that though death will separate us from body and soul and death will separate us from our relationships and death may separate us from God, in Christ, Paul will say in this passage, and I'll read the rest in a minute, in Christ, death will not permanently separate body and soul. And in Christ, for those that are in Christ, it will not separate us from our relationships with our brothers and sisters in Christ. And in Christ, we do not have to fear being separated from God. And so we have an incredible hope. Let me show you what he says. So go back to the passage, verse 13. He says this, But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring, him, or bring with him those who have fallen asleep. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with the cry of command and with the voice of the archangel and with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Now, let me uh, stop there. And um, 
try to explain what's going on here because that, that's, that's kind of crazy, all right, if you're, if you're following along. So here's the big thing. First point I want us to get is that uh, if we're in Christ, then we have the hope of resurrection. In Christ, we have the hope of resurrection, meaning that death will not permanently separate us from our bodies. And that's what Paul is sharing, that hope here in this passage. It's kind of wild, so let me just kind of recap it for you. Here's what he said. He said, Paul is saying, one day Jesus is going to descend from heaven. All right? See that in verse 16? And when he does, he will be, according to verse 14, he will be bringing with him those who have fallen asleep, which is Paul's way to speak of those who have already passed away, who, always, who are already dead, but were believers in Christ. And then he says uh, that um, with a loud cry and the sound of a trumpet blast, he's going to, Jesus is going to resurrect the bodies of those who are dead uh, but had trust in Christ before their passing. Okay? Now that sounds a little crazy, <laughs> doesn't it? It's kind, of, it's kind of wild, but it's helpful to know that this is not the only passage in the Bible that speaks of this and speaks of it very straightforwardly. In fact, uh, 1 Corinthians 15, 51 through 53 says it this way. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, meaning we will not all die. Again, that's the idea of sleep here. We will not all sleep, but we shall all be changed, meaning that all who are in Christ, dead or alive, when he returns, we will all be changed. So changed in what way? Verse 52 says, In a moment, in a twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable. And we shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable, and the mortal body must put on immortality. And so what, what changes here? Our bodies. Our bodies change. Which means that when Christ appears, he will resurrect like from the ashes, like from the dust. He will resurrect the bodies of those who passed away that were in Christ. Like in Christ, meaning like positionally they had placed their faith alone in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of their sins. They've trusted him. They've given their life to him. They're in Christ positionally. Jesus, when he returns, he's going to resurrect their bodies from the dust. And they are going to be called up to him. And he's going to uh, give them a glorified body, a body that is no longer perishable but imperishable that's no longer mortal, but immortal, that will not die again. That when, and notice like here, this is, this is pretty wild. But what he says, when he says Jesus in verse 14 will return, he says, we, since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. What he's saying is that when Jesus returns, he's bringing with him those who have fallen asleep. Those are the ones whose bodies he's resurrecting first when he appears, which says something to us about what happens when we die. So you're like, what happens, like if, you know, a loved one passed away, where do they go? What happens? Well, if they put the faith alone in Jesus Christ, they're in Christ, then what we're told is that they immediately go to be with God. In fact, 1 Corinthians uh, 5, 6 through 8 puts it this way. It says, so we are always of good courage. We know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight. 
Yes, we are of good courage, and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord, meaning this, that in, you know, there's two options. You're either uh, you know, with the body and, uh, and away from the, uh, the Lord and a visible, away from His visible presence, which is why we walk by faith and not by sight here. Or the other option is that we are away from the body and we are with the Lord. Now, <laughs> what that looks like, I don't exactly know. I, I haven't experienced it myself, just, just to let you know. So I, I haven't died yet, and, and so I can't really explain it to you exactly from experience. But here's what we know from Scripture is that when you, you, you die, you go be with the Lord immediately, and that you're conscious. Like you, you are aware of where you are, and you know who you are. You are you, but you are in an immaterial you know, non-physical soul state, which I don't know if that sounds great to you or not. For me, that feels weird. It's because I like having a body. It's what I'm used to. But we get to go be with God. And we do know from this passage that it's to be desired. And Paul says this is to be desired. Like To be with the Lord is a great thing because you get to actually be with God. That's incredible. That's to be desired. But we also know from Scripture that that's not what God intended for us to live like forever. That's why God made us with both body and soul. And when Christ died, he died to redeem not just our souls, but all of his creation, body and soul, the physical and the immaterial, the spiritual. And so that one day, as we read in this passage, Christ is going to return. And he's going to bring with him the souls of all of those who have already passed away that were in Christ. And he is going to, with the, with the loud call and the trumpet blast, like when Gabriel blows his horn, like Longhorns, y'all sang about that yesterday after that victory. He blows the horn, and then the dead rise. And they have new bodies. Then the twinkle in the eye, they're being given new bodies, glorified bodies. And we do not, guys, this is the hope. This is the hope that we have in Christ. One of the aspects is that we will not spend all of eternity in some kind of weird spiritual, immaterial state. That because of what Christ accomplished on the cross, we, he has redeemed both spiritual and physical. And we will spend eternity with him in body and soul as one in a glorified body. That's good news. Now, you might say, okay, well, all right, that, yeah, okay. <laughs> that sounds crazy. Like, what, what would really give us the sense that, other than, you, you know, we read it here, like, what, what other thing can you point to, Jake, that would give me confidence that that actually will happen? Well, Paul writes about it. I mean, go back to, to verse 14. Look what he points to. He says, for since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, and then he builds the entire argument from that point. See, what does he point to to give us confidence that we will actually have a bodily resurrection? He points to the bodily resurrection of Jesus himself. He says, Jesus died, and he physically rose again. Therefore, we trust that when he returns, we will also rise with him. 1 Corinthians 15 talks about this as well. And in that, Paul's making the same argument that it's because of Jesus' resurrection that we know that we can have, we'll have a bodily resurrection as well. One of the things he says is this. It's in fact Christ, it's the fact that Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. 
talking about Jesus' resurrection as the first fruits or as the beginning of the harvest, the sign of what is to come, Jesus' body resurrection points to our hope of a bodily resurrection when Christ appears. Okay? Now, if you're here today and, and you don't believe that Jesus actually died and rose again, then that, uh, that argument that Paul's making here is, is, is going to be understandably unconvincing for you. I, I get that. And I, I just want you to know that if you're here, you don't believe that Jesus died and rose again, but you're, maybe you're here exploring the Christian faith or someone promised to take you to lunch afterwards or whatever got you here. We just want you to know we're, we're really glad that you're here. And I, I want to just say that in this passage, though this might, like this argument Paul's making might be unconvincing to you, let it at least inform you of, of two things that are really, I find, like really helpful. All right? So if, if that's where you are, you're exploring, hear this. The first thing I want to point out to you is that the fact that Paul builds this whole argument about what happens for believers after they die, and that we have a hope of a bodily resurrection, he builds all that off of Jesus' death and resurrection. Let that tell you, let that show you what the foundational essence of the Christian faith is. The foundational essence of the Christian faith is Jesus' death and resurrection. If Jesus did not die and rise again, then we in 1 Corinthians 15 says we're to be pitied. Like we're fools for believing anything else that, the, that God tells us in the Bible. Like this is, it's, it's, it's all hoax if he didn't really die and rise again. And so that's the foundational essence of the Christian faith. And so if you're going to explore and you're like, I heard some really crazy stuff when I showed up at church today about all this dead rising and all this stuff. And you think, is there any truth to that? What I would point you to is go back and examine the resurrection, that's the foundational essence of the Christian faith. Start there. Did Jesus really die and rise again? The second thing I want to point out to you is this, that it's helpful that that is the foundational essence of the Christian faith if you really want to explore it. Because what that tells you is that uh, Christianity doesn't boil down to a philosophy or a teaching or, or, a, rule, or a set of rules or, or behaviors, that it really does boil down to a historical event that either happened or did not happen. And so you can really examine that and see if there's reason to believe that it actually happened or didn't happen, just like you could grab a person who you came here with or, or come talk to me or, or, or anybody else here, and we'd love to help you and you know, walk with you in that to explore this. In fact, let me give you just two resources. I've got two books up here that you might want to pick up or read together. Uh, one is called Frank, uh, by an author named Frank Morrison, who is an attorney, who is an atheist, who set out to disprove Christianity by looking at the evidence, and he ended up trusting Christ. And uh, he, he wrote the book, Who Moved the Stone? And then another book by Lee Strobel that I personally is one of my favorite books, uh, a journalist in the Chicago Tribune, Tribune who also set out to do the same thing. An atheist wanted to disprove Christianity by looking at the evidence, and then he ended up trusting Christ as a result. He kind of writes that record here. So they're both great books. I encourage you to start there, okay, if you're exploring. Now, for the believers, if you believe that Jesus died and rose again, then, then here's, hear this. Have hope. Have hope. Death, one of the things we hate about death, it separates us from body and soul, but one day because of Christ, we can expect to be reunited, both body and soul, in a glorified body. Because just as Jesus died and rose again, we will die, but we will rise in him. It's incredible hope. But guys, that, <laughs> it gets better than that. In fact, it gets a lot better than that. Second thing that Paul gets into is here is that we also have, in Christ, have the hope 
of reunion. We have the hope of reunion, meaning death will not permanently separate us from those who are in Christ. Look what he says in verse 17 and 18. He says, Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them, talking about them, who, those who were asleep and had come with Christ and had you know, been given new bodies. We will be uh, brought together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. And personally, I find these words incredibly encouraging. Can you picture what Paul's saying here? He's saying, like, one day there's going to be an incredible reunion in the sky, in the clouds, the old by and by, that whole deal. It's like, they, you know, old-time songs. They were singing about something that's promise. Like, one day Jesus is going to appear. He's going to bring with him all those who've fallen asleep, and he's going to give them a new body. And then all that are living... And if this were to happen in our lifetime, then we will be caught up with him to be with all of them and with our God. And there will be an amazing reunion. Again, can you picture this? Remember, the Thessalonians, Apostle Paul, even Jesus spoke about that. This could happen at any moment. Like at any moment, Christ could appear. Just because he hasn't appeared yet doesn't mean that it's not true, that still at any moment he can appear. And we, are, we know in First Peter that the reason why God hasn't come, Jesus hasn't appeared like this yet, is because he's patient, wishing none to perish, wanting everyone to walk in, come into eternal life. So thank God for his patience, but let's not count on it that it's never going to happen. He's told us he's going to appear, and it can happen at any moment. And when that moment ha- ha- uh, comes, you will be caught up and come face to face with your Savior with Jesus himself. And when the time comes, I don't know what that's going to look like, but you tear your eyes off of Jesus' face and you look around, you're going to see your mom or your grandfather or your friend who's your brother and sister in Christ. And there is going to be an incredible reunion. And I think about my sister and, and Sebastian. Greeting their little girl, Annabelle. I think about my mom being reunited with her mom. I think about my good friend, Adam Brunson, being reunited with his sister, Amy. I think about the core team at Midtown Church being reunited with Sue Wright. What a day that will be. If that day is promised, the death will not separate you from your relationships. If they're in Christ, you will be together. And one day, they will all, we will all be together. And it's going to be awesome. I heard a, heard a pastor speak on this passage, and um, he used a, a really uh, uh, t- uh, old and corny illustration, but it stuck with me. And so I'm going to pass it on to you. Don't judge. But... Um, <laughs> He talks about how uh, in the, uh, the classic, uh, The Little Princess, starring Shirley Temple, uh, perhaps you've seen it, uh, <laughs> there's this 
scene or is kind of ongoing throughout the movie that the, 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 the little girl's uh, dad has gone off to war. And so she'll sit at the window and she would rehearse these couplets over and over again. Says them throughout the movie. And, and what she says is this. My daddy had to go away, but he will return most any day. Any moment I may see my daddy coming back for me. And she would rehearse that. And in doing so, she'd be rehearsing her hope. Her joyful, confident expectation that her dad was coming home. And guys, that's a good picture of our hope. See, we can say at any day we're going to see our Savior coming home for me. At any day I will see along with my Savior, my dad, my grandfather, my, my brother, my friend coming back for me. Because this is a hope we have in Christ. See, we can grieve, but we do not grieve without hope. For death does not win, Jesus does. Praise be to him. Now, there might be some here that think that, um, you know, that these would be nice hopes, but they really feel more like a hope in the way that we use the word hope. You know, wishful thinking. You know, really what would give us the confidence of this is happening. And then there may be others here that when you think, okay, man, yeah, I could get excited about those hopes, but when I think about dying, I, I honestly feel like I've got this other, like this great fear. See, because when I think about coming face to face with Jesus, that doesn't bring me hope, that, that brings fear to my mind. And I know that there are many people but Christians or non-Christians that carry with them this fear of that, man, when, when I die and I stand before God, that I'm afraid that that's actually not going to go well for me. You know, Hebrews 9, verse 27 says this, it's appointed for man to die once and then after that to face judgment. And you may think, yeah, I know how I've lived and the choices I've made, and I'm scared about that day. And I can't look forward to what you're talking about in this passage because I don't have this hope. I, I have this fear that when I come before Christ, it's not going to go well for me because of the choices I've made and the regrets that I carry. And guys, if that's where you are, then of course you're not going to feel, feel hope in what we've talked about so far. And so hear this. Is this is the hope in which these other two hopes I've talked about today rest. It's this, that in Christ we have the hope of redemption. That in Christ we have the hope of redemption, meaning that death does not have to separate us from God. You see, the reason we can have this hope in the face of death is because uh, it's directly tied to uh, who we come face to face with when we die or when he returns. Again, to go back to verse 14, the pivotal verse in this passage, Paul says, For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again. And guys, what that means is that Paul says that the, the, the one we will meet on that day is the one who had died and rose again for you. And if you fear coming face to face with Jesus, just recognize that you fear coming face to face with the one who died in your place for your sins, who willingly gave his life that you may find life in him, eternal life in him. 
See, the hope that we have to be welcomed by God is based on who is actually welcoming us. He's the one who died and rose again for you. Romans 3, 23 and 24 puts it this way. See, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified. Justified meaning declared not guilty and not just that, but also declared righteous in Christ. That, so for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. You see, the ultimate reason why we can face death with hope is because Jesus faced death for us first. And because of the free gift of grace offered to us in Christ, you can have this hope, the hope of redemption that will come, that along with that comes the hope of the resurrection and the hope of reunion. Because do you have that hope? Jesus died that you would have that hope, the hope of how to face death with hope because of what he's done for us. Will you believe it? This is because Jesus died and rose again, we can have the confidence and not just wishful thinking that this is true for us and we will be received by him. It all comes down to, do you really believe that? Have you received that gift from him? This is... This is the beauty. This is just one of the most beautiful aspects of the Christian faith. That in the face of the thing that we fear and hate the most, death, we have this hope that sweetens and even overwhelms the grief because of what Jesus himself has done for us. We'll be resurrected. We'll be reunited because we've been redeemed in him. So how do we respond? Well, First thing, hope that we have. What Paul says here is let's encourage each other with these words. Like, let's be encouraged. Let's rejoice. Let's rejoice. This is amazing. The second thing that I would say is this. Hold out this hope to others. Hold out this hope to others. And if you have friends and family members who have yet to place their faith in Christ, tell them about Jesus Tell them about the hope we have in him and offer it to them as a gift, as Christ offered it to you as a gift. Hold out the hope to others. And then the third thing that I would say to you today is if you've yet to ever receive this gift, then today receive this hope that we have in Christ. And again, because it is a gift, it's offered to you something that you can receive right as you sit, (laughs) right where you are. That It's given to you as a grace, that you simply have to say, I want that. I believe that. I trust in you, Jesus. And as you are right now, you could tell him, I believe that you died for me and that you rose again, that you paid for my sins. As a result, I can be welcomed into your presence for all of eternity. Give me eternal life. I trust in you. You'd say, you, you, you say that, you're promised, free, you promised eternal life. You're promised forgiveness. And I would encourage you to receive that even today. 
I'm going to give you a chance to do that while we take communion. And so what that looks like is that we're going to end the, the message today for all of us believers to, to come up here. If you put your faith in Jesus Christ alone for forgiveness of sins, you can come up here to take the, the, the bread and the cup or in the back table, take the bread and the cup. And this is what we do to remember Jesus, his life given for us, the one who truly did die and rise again for you. His body broken, his blood spilled. In fact, in 1 Corinthians, we're told that we should do this uh, always until he appears again. And so we're going to do this to remember what Christ has done, that we could have this hope that we've been talking about in him. But for those of you who have yet to place your faith in Christ, that during this time, it's just an opportunity quietly between you and God, if you so choose, to respond just where you sit and tell God. Tell God, God, I don't know if I believe this, but I want to. And begin talking with him. Or to tell God, God, I believe. I want this hope, the hope that you promised. I believe you died and rose again for me. Here's your chance to do that. Let me pray, and then you can come up and take communion, or you can spend some more time talking with God. Father God, we love you. It's passages like this that just remind us of how good you've been to us. Or that, Jesus, you would face death, and on the cross you would be separated from the Father, forsaken by the Father, so that when we face death, we could be welcomed by the Father. Or that we can know that we, through your, the redemption granted to us in Christ through faith, that we will be with you forever. And not just with you, God, though that's, as best, that's the best, it's as good as it can get, and yet we get something even better because of your, your incredible grace. We get you and our loved ones who are in Christ. And Lord, we, we get a resurrected body. Like all this stuff is amazing. God, fill us with this hope. May you help us believe these words. And God, for those in here who have yet to believe that Christ died for them, may you move in their hearts even now that they would believe. Lord, we love you. We thank you for Christ's body broken for us and his blood spilled for us. Be honored as we respond to you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.